Welcome to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. In this week's episode, Betsy Scott, missionary to Croatia, shares about what God is doing through their ministry. You'll be inspired to share God in whatever context you find yourself as we understand diaspora missions. Um, Thank you, Pastor Matt, for inviting us to share with you all at Champion Church. We are delighted to be here because we are a global family. And I think it's really important for us to be connected, for you to be connected to how God is moving and working and maybe even shaking things up in Croatia. For those who don't know where Croatia is, I have two maps for you. One shows you that we are in the Eurasia region of the Church of the Nazarene. We are also on the Central Europe field. You can see there we are across the water from Italy. Okay, so now we're going to zoom in. I want you to understand our context a little bit better because we are situated in a country that is, used to be part of an, a larger area called former Yugoslavia. Has anyone heard of former Yugoslavia? Yes, good. This is a region that was made up of six socialist republics where people lived for many years harmoniously next to each other, people of various ethnicities and religions. But after a bitter war, that area became divided up and really by those two things, divided up by ethnicity and religion. So to this day, Croatians, and you know I'm generalizing a little bit here, but not by much, Croatians are Catholic, Serbs are Orthodox, and Bosniaks are Muslim. So we were asked to move in 2011 to Croatia to do one important thing, to relaunch the work of the Church of the Nazarene in Croatia. Many of you would think the same way that we did, that upon arriving, what we would be creating, hopefully, there would be a Croatian church, Croatian leadership, and Croatian language. Actually, missionaries study language and context for a while to prepare themselves for this type of goal. So four years later, this is our church. I don't know if it's coming. There we are. This is our crazy group on Christmas. Eve service. Four years later, after we started the church, we now have three services. Every other week, we have a Farsi service or a Persian-speaking service. On the opposite week, we have an Arabic-speaking service. Our second service is constantly multicultural, and the people who come to that church have come from, and I'm going to list some countries for you, so you can get an idea of who is men in this tiny church in Zagreb. Um, I have these countries, Croatia, Iraq, Iran, Syria, Morocco, Egypt, America, Nigeria, Canada, Turkey, Afghanistan, Azerbaijan, Balochistan. Has anyone heard of Balochistan out there? My husband and I, when we met Kamal from our church, we actually watched a documentary about what is this land, the Baloch people and this land called Balochistan. We've had people from Sri Lanka, Kosovo, Eritrea. Have you heard of Eritrea? Okay. I would love to bring you on a journey with me today to see how we ended up here, how we changed what I would call our missional paradigm, how we opened ourselves up to something we never expected 
God would be doing. To understand this more, I want to go into our own heritage. It's a story, which maybe you don't think about this story in this way, but it shows a paradigm shift happening. So if you want to open up your Bibles to Acts 10, in a little bit we'll read together Acts 10, 34 to 48. We'll read that together. So before we read that together, I'm going to set up the story for you. The story seems like it is about two people, a Roman centurion, a Gentile, named Cornelius, and a Jewish believer named Peter. But I want you to see today that the story is much bigger than that. So we know about the story. The Bible tells us that this Gentile, this Roman centurion, was a noble, pious, generous man. His name is Cornelius. It says he prayed to God and he gave generously to people who needed it. But one day he had a vision with an angel who appeared to him. The angel said, thank you so much for your generous offerings, but I have a new task for you. What I need you to do is go find the man, Simon, Peter. I need you to send your men for him and bring him to you. At the same time this was happening, there was the man, Peter, who, it says at the same time, he was having a dream. The dream is a wild one. Peter feels God is asking him to do something that his previous cultural restraints would not allow him to do, to eat meat. Peter first turns this down, and he hears a voice say this, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. After this happens three times, Peter is sitting there, still puzzled about his vision when there's a knock at the door. Cornelius' men show up, and they ask Peter to go with him. So he goes to the home of the centurion, and when Peter arrives, this is what Cornelius says to him. So now all of us are here in the presence of God to listen to all that the Lord has commanded you to say. So let's read together from Acts now, 10, 34 to 48. And then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John announced, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear. And who ate and drank, not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses, and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out, and don't miss this word, even on the Gentiles. 
for they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter said, Can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they invited him to stay for several days. I love how that story ends right there with hospitality. What have we just witnessed here? I would call it a paradigm shift, a new way of understanding something. Have you ever been asked to do something that you weren't comfortable doing? In the story, we have two people who are more or less confined to their cultural shaping, and they both step out on faith. God calls them to the space of the unknown, and they get to watch God work. These are actions that even had consequences from their peers. Later, when Peter went to Jerusalem and spoke about what happened and all that he had witnessed, someone said to him, Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Peter has something interesting to say in his reply. The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction, distinction between them and us. In a place where there are many categories, it is easy to think in terms of them and us. I remembered, or um, as I mentioned, we are, and I do remember, that we are a multicultural church. 90% of the members in our church are what I would call displaced people, people on the move. They are migrants, asylum seekers. There is also a biblical word to describe people who are dispersed and scattered. It's called the diaspora. The year we were beginning our church plant in Croatia, there was a great influx of refugees coming to Europe at numbers no one could expect. In Croatia alone, 10,000 refugees a day were crossing through our country. And some people aren't aware, the country of Croatia has a population of 4 million people. New York City has a larger population. Some are calling this level of dispersal of humanity the worst since the Second World War. So to help put things into perspective for you, I'm going to show you a map so that you can see that Croatia is the first place that people on the move are processed when they enter the European Union. So we can look at that map. So while you look at that map and you see the routes of how people are moving and how they land up in Croatia, I want to tell you about a law they have. That if you are processed in a country and it's in the EU, you have to be sent back to that country. So sadly, people in our midst, people in our church, people in our communities in Croatia, were living for another place for a year or more, working, learning language, and one day someone knocked on their door and said, you have to go back to Croatia. So you know who received them? is this little Zagreb Church of the Nazarene. We meet people who have experienced loss upon loss. Overnight, our church in Zagreb began to be filled with people who had fled their homes. Where we had the intention of creating a Croatian church, God said, I might have something else planned. I remember now, and I'm reminded of Peter's words when he said this, the Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. So how could we, this small budding church plant, not respond 
for this crisis. Instead, we chose to do something, faithfully welcome people in our midst. And because of this, our story is being rewritten. We began to cling to Apostle Paul's words where he talks about how to have unity in a church. Here is a passage that I really love. I'm not going to read it. I'm going to paraphrase it. I would love for you to look this up. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 26. Here's what we read in this passage. He says, as a community, how do you have unity with people who are different from you? He says, we are to build each other up. See each other as more valuable than ourselves. Sometimes that alone is very difficult to do. Raise up those who society says is not as valuable and who society says is already valuable, be okay without seeking more, want, more honor. Paul says it's okay to be different. In fact, being different is what causes us to be the body in the first place. We are not to compare ourselves and say, this is more important than that. I am more important. I am more needed. He says, when we can do these things, and this is the part I really love, he says, we are really able to care for one another. There's one thing that people say when they visit the church in Zagreb. They say they feel the spirit there, and they feel that we are a family. One day we have tried to reduce, by, by a way of reducing the distance between us and them, we said we're going to make it a practice to praise together, lift thanksgiving together, but also lament together. That means we celebrate and we weep together. And I've already heard that today in your prayer. One Sunday, a woman in our church, she was um, now in jail and in danger of being deported. During worship, I came up behind her. I placed my hands on her. We were singing a song called I Surrender. And I wept with her as we worshiped together. It was my way of saying I wanted her to know that I'm with her. No matter where she is, if she does end up in jail, I want to raise my hands and sing when she can no longer sing. I asked a couple in our church who had watched so many people get positives while they were waiting, and they had received negatives. How do you do it? And they said, oh, we are so filled with joy for people when they get their positives. What I have seen in our church that sustains people through suffering is the ability to find something to be grateful for. So praising and offering thanksgiving in our church has become an important spiritual practice, but also lamenting. We cry out to God together about the injustices that we see happening in the world and to the people in our church. We actively pray against things like oppression, possessiveness, and war, and we pray for peace and unity and for love. Here's what we're seeing in our church that God is doing. He is tearing down walls and barriers between people. When you are with people who are different from you, one of the things that happens is that you have to come to terms with your own prejudices and stereotypes. One Sunday, our minister raised his hand and he said, I need to ask for forgiveness. I used to have a derogatory word to describe this person. My culture gave me this word to describe this person. 
And he said, now this person is my brother, my fellow minister. And so what we're seeing in our church is the way of the cross, the way of Christ, and a new way, a better way. So in order for Peter to go with Cornelius and for Cornelius to send for Peter, in order for this divine meeting to happen that would forever change the course of Christianity, both of these men would need to do something, overcome their fear, and exercise a great amount of faith. So Cornelius asked Peter to share with him, and this is what happened when, while Peter was speaking. Verses 44 and 45 tell us that the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. And Peter and those, the circumcised believers who were with Peter, they were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. So in order to accept this new missional paradigm in Croatia, we had to set aside our preconceived ideas about what should be. And we accepted what God was doing in our midst. And this can be difficult. It took Peter three times in his dream to really hear God's message. When we see the faith of these men, we see that the Holy Spirit immediately fell upon those who heard the word. And this is what causes Peter to consider something he hadn't yet. That God has given even to the Gentiles repentance that leads to life. It's interesting, it's silly reading these words a little bit, because this is a truth that you and I have always known, that Jesus is for all, not just for a select few, not just for chosen, not just for the clean, not just for those who do the right things, but for all. In this story, we're brought into this moment where the idea of Christ saving everyone, even the Gentiles, is a new concept. We are seeing Peter's idea of God's mission is expanding and maybe even his idea of who God is. Sometimes I wonder when we start saying things like, I was astounded even that this person could be saved, have we somehow diminished the power of the Holy Spirit? When we become surprised at who says yes to Christ, have we somehow made God very small? But God keeps us on our toes. In this story, we are seeing early Christians put fear and unknown aside and embrace the new thing that God is doing. In our context, we had to embrace the beautiful evangelistic opportunity that was in front of us and put fear aside. I want to share a statistic with you. It's kind of astounding. In the world, there are 250 million people who are living outside of their country of origin. They say, researchers say that one half of these people are coming from places who have traditionally not heard the gospel. So let's look at this percentage a bit closer. If we take and we put all migrants in a room at any given moment, in theory, we will find that 50% of them are Christian, 25% will be Muslim, 5% will be Hindu, 3% Buddhist, and the rest will have no faith. Of the one half of the Christians, we see a number of people intentionally moving to places to share the gospel, and we count in that category, but we are still talking about 50% of the people who are living among us, live, who have li are living outside of places that have never heard the gospel. So this reality is what I call two things, and this is what we've experienced in our church. We need to learn as Christians to have what's called a soft, hard hospitality approach and to have missional discipleship. 
These are the two things that we've learned, and I just want to unpack it a little bit with you guys, and I'll share some stories to help you understand. A soft, hard hospitality approach is one that's softer on the edges, but it has a hard kernel in the core. This basically means opening your arms and inviting those who might not make, fit the mold or the target audience while maintaining a strong theological core. So Talal is a lovely man who was with us for over a year. I met him while we were teaching English classes at the refugee facility. He showed up at church one day. I did not expect him to be there. Somebody invited him. He came. He was curious about what church was like. He was Muslim when I met him. He was a devout Muslim, I should say, when I met him. After a while, Talal realized that in coming to our church, it's the same time as the mosque. So he was missing his prayers. So he asked our leadership team, could he do his prayers in the basement of our church? This is the first time that we came up against a soft, hard hospitality approach. So we met as a leadership team, and we decided that what we would tell Talal is how much we love him, how much we love that he loves coming to church, but that we would have to say no to his prayers in the church. And it was because people are coming to our church who aren't Christian yet. And we didn't want to confuse people. We wanted to be really clear about who we are as an identity, as a Christian church, a Christian place. Another friend of ours is from Sri Lanka named Dennis. Well, Dennis comes from a community in which he is Hindu. He has a Hindu background. So after a while of Dennis being in our church, you know what Dennis told me? I think Jesus is my favorite God. Okay, so let's hold that up there a little bit. Another amazing man from Kosovo came with us for over a year, and he came from a New Age background. He once shared this with me, that after he signed up to take Intro to New Testament class, he said Jesus seemed like the ultimate source of energy. I remember one time in class he drew a picture of a heart, and he wrote Jesus at the center of it. What we are talking about are people who have never had the chance to hear about Jesus. And when they do, they fit Jesus and Christianity into the only framework that they've ever had. Engaging in what I call missional discipleship, and there's a great book called Missional Discipleship, it takes patience and a willingness to walk closely alongside people. It reverses a traditional trend, and the trend says that generally we want people to believe before they can belong. What we are seeing in our community is when you reverse that and you stress belonging first, that you trust that belief will follow. Many have confused this with theological compromise. In fact, that's not the case for our church in Zagreb. In fact, we are very invitational. We are preaching the gospel constantly. There is no confusion about who we are and what we stand for. In fact, every Sunday, we have Muslim women and men who sing the Apostles' Creed with us in worship. What we are coming to realize is that for the first time in people's lives, they are safe enough to ask the questions they've always wanted to ask. So because of this, we work really hard at creating a safe place for people. I did share a story recently. I guess I'll share the story with you. It's the story of when I almost was arrested. Um, 
So in church one Sunday, we had had our community vandalize our church space with, with a marker on the outside and wrote negative messages. And we've had the cops called. Um, this is one time I was about to greet everyone at church, and they said, there's a cop at the door, and so would you come and speak with him? And so I did, and he shared with me that someone in the community had called and said, there are illegal immigrants here who are taking furniture out of the space. And I said, no, that's not true. Actually, we're a church. I was explaining this to him. He said, well, do you have illegal people here? And I said, no, we don't. They are all registered with the refugee facility. And then he said, well, I would like to see all of their documents. And that was the moment I thought, okay, I think I'm going to become arrested because I'm not going to allow him to walk into the sacred space and ask each of them for their documents. So right at that point, we had our Croatian minister come over. They began joking with each other in Croatian, and in the end, he never came into the church and asked them. And he, we actually shared that our church had been vandalized, and he felt very embarrassed about that. See, in our church, we preach the good news. People in our church are desperate for the good news. This way of missionally engaging with people, it takes, this is what I think it takes, in an immense amount of trust in a God who is at work, regardless of a person's religious background or heritage. It takes trusting that God is calling each person to him. So in our midst, there are certain groups that are pushed to the margins. Migrants and asylum seekers are one of them. When we responded faithfully to caring for those in our midst, beautiful things began to happen. For example, Talal, the man who, we, who wanted to pray in the basement of our church, he kept coming to our church. And I remember the first Sunday that he looked at me and said, you are my family. I often would ask myself, how has this happened? We would come home after church. How has this little Christian church become this devout Muslim man's family. A pastor from a neighboring country to Syria says this about their ministry to the diaspora, those displaced by war. He says, we don't ask if they're Christian or Muslim. We meet their needs. And as soon as hospitality, which is an important part of many of these cultures, as soon as that can be reciprocated, they're invited for tea, and then questions start. Who are you? Why are you here? What are you doing? Why are you helping us? And when they find out that they are Christians, he says, really soon, the next question they ask is, do you have a Bible? I can tell you stories of people in our church community who walk to the Catholic cathedral on their own from the facility and asked for Bibles. We, before we even met someone in our church, they had read an Arabic Bible three times. People are curious. They are asking questions. So there is a popular person in the Bible who underwent a massive transformation where he went from being a persecutor to a follower of Jesus. Maybe you are already thinking you know who this person is. If you follow his story, you will see some important things. You will see that God used those around Saul to care for him, to bring him to safety when the Jews plotted against him, to be bridge people. God even used someone like Ananias when he heard this. He, he heard God saying, go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles 
and kings and before the people of Israel. The story goes on to say that Barnabas brings Paul from Tarsus to Antioch, and the scriptures tell us something interesting. As I was reading, it says they stayed there for a year. And in this year, they met with the church and they taught many people. And then we read that it was in Antioch that the first disciples were called Christians. This persecutor, turned believer, reaches the first Christians in Antioch. So my husband, he visits with a family from our church where the husband is a former terrorist, a former persecutor. He has become a Christian, and they come to our church. We worship together, we have tea together, and we revel in how God brings people together through Christ. Talal, my dear friend, kept coming to our church, and I can tell you what an honor it is and was to watch him go on his journey. When you create a safe place for people, you have to be a little careful because they'll just stand up whenever and say, this is what I'm learning. And so he would stand up on Sunday and say, I am learning something. Can I share something, Pastor Dave? And so he would stand up and share, I've been studying the Trinity for three months now. And I think I have a way of describing it that makes sense to me. And so he, sh- he stood up and shared that. And then another time at a baptism service, he stood up and he said, I think I want to share something with you. I believe Jesus was God. Soon after that, he went to jail. This often happens with those seeking asylum as they go past their, their time. So we were deeply saddened by this, and we were so worried for him. He was released from jail, and guess what? He shared his testimony at church the night he was baptized and said it was in jail that he realized he was a Christ follower. The night he was baptized, as my husband and another minister stood next to him, he said to him, don't pull me up right away. You know, the baptisms are like, whoo, whoo. He said, don't pull me up right away. And in this one, it was the one very deep, and you can just go. He was under the water for a while, what seemed like for a while. He wanted to revel in this life-changing moment. After this, Talal fled to his next destination. And do you know where he is today? He's in a Nazarene church in France. They often report to me, thank you for sending Talal. He is such a joy, such a blessing to be with. Of course, we are sad to have left him or let him go. The young man from Kosovo that I told you about, the New Age believer, well, he was forced to return to his country, contacted Nazarene pastors there, and said he wanted to start studying theology. Dennis, our Hindu friend, who said Jesus was his favorite God, he ended up going to Switzerland. But as I told you about the rule, he was just sent back for about, about three weeks ago, and he shared with us that Jesus is his Savior. He said while he was in Switzerland, his wife in Sri Lanka was baptized. So Paul had those in his midst who faithfully reached out to him, the known persecutor. You see, there is no one that is beyond God's reach. So I ask you today, who is God asking you to be faithful to in your midst? Who is that person that seems beyond saving? Do you trust that you serve a big God who is on the move? 
Might this person have their heart stirring now? And what they need are faithful brothers and sisters to come alongside them. So Peter visits the churches in Jerusalem to tell them how the face of the church has changed, how this course, there's a new course happening, and this is what he shares when he's with the churches. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced and praised God, saying, then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to new life. Think of that question. Who was I that I could hinder God? Peter recognizes that God is moving in their midst. Culture may have said something different. You remember that when Peter was telling the churches, they said, why would you go to those people's homes? And he says, no, 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 we are part of the same story. Now, some of you are listening to me, and you might be thinking, none of this applies to me. Those are people in your midst. Those are not people in our midst. But I want to challenge you a little bit to think about the diaspora and to think about our own Christian heritage as the diaspora. Because when we look at the movement that's going on in the world, we might think, this is a great influx that's happening, but people have always been on the move. Religious persecution and refugee movements have been such strategic inflection points of our history of Christianity. So let's look at our own heritage a bit. Did you know the New Testament is what I would call a diaspora document? It's written in Koine Greek, the language of the diaspora Jews. Paul, the man I've spoken about, he was a diaspora Jew. He grew up in a Greek town. He became a Jewish scholar, a Pharisee, and then was powerfully used by God. Peter, the story of Cornelius, he writes to the exiles and he tells them, please do not have your identity. Have your identity be in something much larger than this earthly citizenship. In our church in Zagreb, one of the first sermons we preached was that we are all foreigners, resident aliens as Christians. We talked about our story together being one of the diaspora, starting from a family who was fleeing their home and gave birth on the run in a neighboring country, to the church spreading to new places because of those who have been scattered, to the fourth century early church fathers being sent in exile. And even if you may stay in this same land forever, I hope you see one thing, that migrants can be beautiful reminders that we should not be so attached to this land. A woman, a sweet woman, I think Donna is her name, she asked me, well, where's your home? That is a great question because we don't, we don't know. We, we, we have many homes. Right now our home is in Croatia. So the thing about being nomads is that we have learned not to be so attached to this land. And did you know the Apostle Paul has something to say about categories? I think it goes something like this. We are neither Jew nor Greek, neither male or female, neither master or slave, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. So friends, what I call, we are leading a diasporic missional community. And I can tell you it's far from orderly. 
It is very beautiful. It requires movement. I want to share three ways that I see God has moving through the diaspora. The first one I call Mission 2. And this is where churches reach out to people on the move. I'm going to share another statistic with you that every day 44,000 people are displaced from their home. 44,000. Years ago, when this crisis hit Croatia, the government wasn't ready to respond. People and churches responded. People in my church are coming from nations in which they are coming from the fastest growing places for the radicalization of Islam. People in my church speak of things that are called silent wars in their countries, where people are experiencing religious persecution, being forced to recruit to Islamic extremist groups. And did you know the Baloch people are experiencing systematic genocide? We learned this from our friend Kamal, who was in our church for two years. Sometimes we, as Christians, are drawn to doing something that we can see the fruit from, or maybe the needs are so great, we think, what can one act do? And I was telling my husband that sometimes I think back on those times in which we went to the border where there were three to 5,000 people. And sometimes I get excited about the person saying, do you remember when that man stood next to me? and waited for me when I was separated from my family? Do you remember when those people knelt down beside me and said, are you okay? Do you need something to eat? This is mission two. And then we have mission through. People on the move themselves become agents of mission. The researchers say this, that it is not enough to give people food and to make sure they know Christ. Beyond that, we need to help them understand their call if they have moved on, they then will become seed planters and start churches. One of the most powerful things we can do is to come alongside people and help people embrace their sense of being a missionary in their own context. If you don't hear anything today, that's what I want you to hear. Become a missionary in your own context. This is Pastor Cheyenne and Donia, Pastor Emil and Liel. We met both of these couples while they were on their refugee journey. They are now local and district licensed ministers with the Church of the Nazarene. There is a mission beyond. This is when those people have been scattered who are followers of Jesus reach out to other people who have been scattered, or even better, the host country. Do you know that this is a way that revival is happening in post-Christian nations? One theologian describes the situation in his Muslim origin country, Kuwait. He says the very presence of Christianity in Kuwait are coming from migrant churches, people who have moved there simply for work. He said, now, in an Arabic Muslim country, we are seeing more of a vibrant picture of Christianity happening because of migration. So as you reflect on this scripture, I'm going to share one last story with you, and then I'm going to invite you to watch our video of our church. I want to share this one last thought. It's about a man. His name is Simon of Cyrene. Does anybody remember this man from the Bible? Simon of Cyrene. I've been thinking a lot about him. 
because he is not generally one of the people in the Bible that we talk about. It is true we have not written down his words. We don't know much about his life, other than he came from Serene, which is in Libya. In fact, he was a diaspora Jew. He comes from the Jewish diaspora community in Libya. He came to Jerusalem probably for festivals, but his life took an unexpected turn. Simon of Serene is the man who was asked by the Roman guards to carry Jesus' cross. We are told in one of the Gospels that he has two sons, Rufus and Alexander. Imagine coming to one of the festivals. Maybe you had even heard of this one they call the Messiah, and you wanted to see for yourself. And there you are being asked to carry the cross of the one they call the Messiah. We don't know Simon's story from that point, but here's some fun things that we read in Romans and Acts. And maybe we could speculate something. We read that on the day of Pentecost, which is about 50 days later, the ones among them were coming from Libya, the area of Serene. Later in Romans, Paul asks the believers in Rome to greet Rufus. Maybe this is the same Rufus. Just following our story that we read today in Acts, Peter and Cornelius, we read in Acts 11, we read the following things. Now those were scattered because of the persecution that took place over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. And they spoke the word to no one except Jews. But among them were some men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, also proclaiming the Lord Jesus. Now, we don't know this, but it got me thinking, what if an encounter with Jesus changes your life so much that you share it with your family and your community? What if Simon of Serene went back to Libya and shared about this encounter with Jesus? And what if he became a missionary in his own context? The man that we don't give mention to when we tell the story of Christ Could he have reached many for Christ that we don't even know about? So here is my plea for you. Let's be cross-bearers for Christ. An encounter with Christ the Savior is a life-changing one. Be used. Tell the story. Seek out the lost. Do the unexpected. And watch God move. Thanks for listening to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. We hope you were inspired by this week's message. We would love for you to join us on a Sunday morning for our service, which begins at 1030 a.m. We are located at 3924 High Street, Northwest, in Warren, Ohio. For more information about our ministries, or if you'd like to contribute to our ministries online, please visit us at championnaz.org.